Well, according to recent statistics, there are around 43 million people worldwide that live with blindness. That's pretty staggering, right? This means that there are 43 million people worldwide that live day in, day out without seeing color, shape, form. People that live day in, day out without seeing the expressions on a loved one's face. Who, who cannot see a sunrise or a sunset. Who haven't seen the waves crash on, on the ocean shore or the snow-capped mountain peaks during the wintertime, or the way the fog rests atop the pines here in the Pacific Northwest during the winter, or the vivid array of colors in spring and fall. It's sobering to think about those who live with physical blindness. But what if, what if there's a kind of blindness that is beyond the inability to see people physically and the world around us? What if there's a spiritual blindness that all men and women are born with that's far more devastating? What if I also told you that there was a cure? One who could open the eyes of the spiritually blind. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, please turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you could find one in a pew near you. You could find the Gospel according to John on page 886. 886. We'll all be helped to keep our, our eyes tethered to John chapter 9 this morning. And we're going to be unpacking the whole chapter today, all 41 uh, verses. But let me start by reading just the first seven. John 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back, seeing. This is God's word to the church. Thanks be to God. Let's say that together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading and applying of His Word to our lives this morning. Father, we thank You for a new day. We thank You for new mercies in and through Your Son, Jesus. 
And Spirit, we ask that you would turn the lights on in our hearts and minds this morning to, to see him more clearly. That you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear your glory in the face of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thus far in the gospel according to John from chapter 1 through chapter 8, we have beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And at this point in our series through John, in light of this chapter, uh, we should we should reestablish the purpose of the book. And that purpose is given to us in John chapter 20. You don't have to turn there, but let me read those verses from 30 and 31. John chapter 20, 30 and 31. Those verses say, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the signs of Jesus, like the one we just read, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And so intimately connected to the purpose of the book, this week we arrive at chapter 9, and, and this sign reveals to us that Jesus alone can give sight to the spiritually blind. Jesus alone can give sight to the spiritually blind. That's the big idea of chapter 9. And we see this truth illuminated in all 41 verses. And we're going to see this in the revelation of this truth in verses 1 through 7. The response to this truth in verses 8 through 34. And then the result of this truth in verses 35 to 41. So the revelation, the response, the result. Point one and three will be longer than two. So point one, the revelation. As we just read there in verses one through seven, look there with me once again. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he, may, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Well, as we saw last week, the close of chapter 8, in response to the words and the works of Jesus, there were many that said that they believed in him. But as we saw at the close of the chapter, that those same people who said that they believed pick up, picked up stones to stone him. And we read there in verse 59 that in the midst of this death threat, that Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He escaped a premature death. And as he left the temple, we read in chapter 9, verse 1, that he passes by and that he sees a blind man from birth. And here we see a revelation of the compassionate and loving heart of Jesus. Jesus does not turn a blind eye 
to this man's disability. No, he, he does not turn away, but he turns toward him. And though this man cannot see Jesus, Jesus sees him. Let us stop for a moment and see this man as well, and let us learn from Jesus here. Beloved church, love begins with seeing, and then stopping, and then taking time with those who are suffering. For when we see and stop and take time, we humanize the hurting. To further illustrate this, when I was growing up, my my dear mother would, would take my brothers and I to see one of her best friends from elementary school, Caroline. And by an early age, uh, Caroline had developed multiple sclerosis and was bedridden and could no longer speak. But my mom would take us to visit her. And when we would visit, I would watch my mom look at her, see her. She, she would caress her head and, and speak to her. And she would humanize her in a way that was so beautiful to watch. And though Caroline could not speak and do the things that other people could do, my mom did not overlook her or treat her any different than any other human. No, she just make a point to, to see her, to speak words of comfort to her, and to humanize her. That's what we see similarly. That's what we see Jesus do here. So there's an application for us. HFBC should be a place where where we see those with disabilities and we engage them. HFBC should be a place where we see the mourning and the longing for comfort, where we see them and engage them. It should be a place where we see the hurting and we engage them. This is a place where we should see and engage those who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares. This body should be a place that welcomes and cares for not only those who are alive and well, but those who are suffering, be it with a disability or chronic illness or working through loss, or with some other ailment. HFBC ought to be a place where we bear one another's burdens and walk alongside one another, being slow to offer our own advice, but quick to offer God's Word, which is a word of comfort, and to give one another of our presence, physical presence, our our time, our our words of comfort, and and even, at times, material care. Beloved church, we do not have the ability to heal, but we do have the ability to see those who are hurting, to pray, to comfort, and to come alongside with the help of God. Well, after Jesus sees and stops, This blind man, we read in verse 2 that the disciples ask, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Like Job's friends, you know, back in the book of Job. They believe that this man has a theological problem. 
that he's done something wrong to incur the sickness that has caused his suffering. But where the disciples saw a problem, Jesus sees a person. And so Jesus responds, correcting them, saying that this man's physical blindness is not because of his sin or his parents' sin. And just as we saw back in chapter 5, people don't suffer because of sin. Now, they may suffer as a result of sin, say, through uh, drunk driving or sexual promiscuity. But we know from the consistent testimony of the Word that physical suffering is not because of sin, of inherent sin. But Jesus says, verse 3, that no, his disability existed so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, and in the words of one author, instead of condemning the blind man, Jesus called his blindness an opportunity for God to work in his life. In the end, this man's suffering was a platform to display God's mercy and grace. What a beautiful, and yet, we, we got to admit, difficult pill for us to swallow. That God would use this man's suffering, that he would use our suffering to display his good works. But he is, beloved. He is. Even when we can't see it. We can trust that he is using all of our lives and all of the lives around us in trials and triumphs, in suffering and successes for our good and his ultimate glory. And it's only Jesus who is the light of the world, as it says in verse 5, that can make something beautiful from tragedy and that can shine light into the darkest circumstances of our lives. And this is just what he does for this blind man. For we read in verses 6 through 7, after, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Oh, behold, Jesus, the one who brings light into darkness and gives sight to the blind. But why saliva? Why mud? Why the pool of Siloam? Why didn't Jesus just say, see, and the man see? Well, Jesus is hitching his fulfillment ministry to the ministry of the Old Testament. And John wants us to see this clearly. For just as John in chapter 1 recalled Genesis 1 and 2, with in the beginning was the Word, who is Jesus. And just as he did it in, in Genesis 1, right, God said, let there be light, and we, we saw that, that Jesus is the greater light, the light to the world. This section of John 9 is recalling Genesis 1 and 2 as well. For there we read of God creating man from dust and breathing life into him. And here we see Jesus create mud with his saliva, and catch that, dust. And he anoints the man's eyes and then commands him 
to go to the pool of Siloam, which John adds means sent. And so here's the, the point that is being made here. And, and those, many in church history, have made this point before me. And it's this. Just as God created man from dust, and his, and his breath created him, right, and gave life to him in the beginning, here Jesus, the one sent from God to earth, is recreating man spiritually and giving him spiritual eyes to see with mud created from saliva and dust and water. And so this sign is a revelation that he is the sent one who has come to recreate men and women by his word and his work and his spirit. And he not only gives physical sight, but physical sight and spiritual sight, sorry. But taking a step back, there's even more than meets the eye about this miracle. For this blind man represents all men and women outside the saving work of Jesus. We are all born spiritually blind. This is the testimony of Scripture, that we are born in the shadow of Genesis chapter 3, that we are born into sin and darkness, that we are born foolish and futile with, catch this, darkened hearts. So we read in Romans 1, verse 21. And from birth we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As Paul says in Romans 3, 23. And apart from the light and life of Jesus, we love the darkness. That is what John says in 1 John 3, 19. But Jesus brings the illuminating light of salvation to darkened people. For he is the one that Isaiah 42, that David read earlier, spoke of. The one who has come to open the eyes of the blind and to bring his people from darkness into light. And that sight and light has, has come to the world through, through what? The gospel work of Jesus. That truth that the Father sent his sinless Son into this spiritually blind and dark world to bring life and light and sight. And it was on the cross where he was lifted up for the world to see. And there he died as a substitute for sinners as we, we sang earlier and in Christ alone. And when he died, we are told in Luke chapter 23 that the sky went dark. Light was seemingly extinguished, literally and spiritually. But what happened three days later? Jesus rose from the dead, and from the empty tomb, light broke in to this dark world. So that all who repent to turn from darkness and sin and turn toward him by grace, through faith, can be brought from darkness to light. From blindness to sight. Be saved forevermore. This is the good news of the gospel for a blind world. And so are you spiritually blind, friend? Well, Jesus came for you. And he stands ready to give you light and sight today. If you have questions about this, I'll be standing in the back 
after the service. Or you can reach out to me or, or, or David who led worship today or one of the other elders here via email even this week. We would love to talk with you more about the grace and light of the gospel. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, then you have already been called by the Holy Spirit. You've already been called to the work of Jesus from darkness to light, from blindness to sight, not by any work of your own, but by the pure grace and light of Jesus in the gospel. And so we can proclaim amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. This is the song of the blind man who was healed. And this is your song. Our song, if we are in Christ. Well, following the pattern of John thus far, there there are mixed responses to this miracle. There, There are mixed responses to this sign that reveals the healing power, not just physically, but spiritually, of Jesus. And this is what we see here in the next section. That brings us to point two, the response. Look with me at verses 8 through 34. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner, do such signs. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is a son and that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Many years ago, our family was driving down the road to see some friends, and we saw a bright light shining in the sky, traveling across the sky. And it had a trail of billowing smoke behind it. And the light got brighter and brighter and brighter as it was traveling across the sky. And then it, it kind of turned, this light, kind of, we could see it turn in the sky and then take off at warp speed to where we couldn't see it any longer. It was terrifying and mysterious. We hadn't seen anything quite like it. And when we got to our destination, when we got to our friend's home, we asked our friends, hey, did you see the bright light in the sky? Uh, and then it zoomed off. Did you, did you see it? What was that? And then more friends came over a little later and said, hey, did you guys see the light in the sky? What was that? Well, it turns out it was a SpaceX launch. But the point is, the launch caused quite a stir. And those that saw it, we who saw it, and the smoky aftermath of it, uh, struggled to understand what it was and what was going on. And, and this healing of light and sight did just that. It caused quite a stir, and it provoked responses from three parties. Uh, the blind man's neighbors, his parents, and the Pharisees, or the religious leaders of the day. Let's walk through uh, these interactions and, as we'll see, interrogations, as we just heard uh, now. Well, the first interaction is between the healed man and his neighbors, uh, those in close proximity to him in Jerusalem. And, and they're bewildered, right? right? Some, some recognize him as the blind man, as the beggar, but others are like, oh, we don't know really who this guy is. And so they ask, is this the same blind guy who used to beg? And the man responds, oh, yeah, I'm the same guy. Same guy who's been in your community for, well, all of my life. And then they ask, verse 10, well, who healed you? And the man responds, uh, the man named Jesus. He made mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash in Siloam, and bam, now I see. And you can imagine the excitement and the, the buzz, the frenetic energy and the bewilderment around all of this event, right, in the community. And so verse 12, the neighbors asked, well, where is he? We want to see this guy. And the man has no idea. Jesus is there, and then he's gone, like the wind. Mentioned back in John chapter 3, that blows where it wishes. 
And it's here where the neighbors do what a Jewish community did uh, when there was wonder and bewilderment and uncertainty. Uh, They take the man to the men, verse 13, with all of the answers. The Pharisees, the guys that supposedly saw clearly so that they could shed light on what's going on. And the Pharisees respond with three interrogations, as we just read there. The first is that they interrogate the man in verses 13 to 17. Then they interrogate the parents in verses 18 to 23, as we read. And then they interrogate the man again in verses 24 through 34. In the first interrogation, we discovered that Jesus made mud and healed on what day? The Sabbath day. And this was a no-no. He had just done this you know, back, back in John chapter 5. And so the Pharisees are angry with Jesus for breaking the Sabbath and their rules. See, the Pharisees had created 39 categories of work that must not be done on the Sabbath. Making mud was one of them. And so, consumed by tradition, consumed with the so-called theological conundrum before them, they, like the disciples above, see a problem and not the beauty of a healed person standing before them. And we can so often do the same, can't we? Well, they go on and ask, all right, so healed man, tell us exactly what happened. And the healed man responds with a beautifully simple and profound and faithful answer. He says, verse 15, well, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. The Pharisees were perplexed divided by this. We read in verse 16. They wonder how Jesus, a Sabbath-breaking sinner in their eyes, could do this. Surely, surely he's not from God. But they ask the man, verse 17, well, who do you say he is? And what does the healed man say? He's a prophet. Well, in division and confusion and prideful unbelief, the leaders move from interrogating him, they call his parents in. And they, they ask his parents, hey, is this your son? Uh, Was he really born blind? They say, verse 21, he is. And yes, he was born blind. But we do not know how all this happened or who did it. You should go ask him. He's a big boy. And and how how sorrowful is this? We We need to recognize this. Instead of rejoicing with this man's parents, instead of reveling in this healing, the Pharisees rebuke and question and attack the parents. In response to all of this, the parents don't really want to rock the boat too much. And they fear the judgment of the Pharisees because they've heard in verse 22 that to confess Jesus to any degree that he is the Christ or that he is Messiah, that he is the healer of the Son, could get them kicked out of the synagogue. Well, still divided and confused and prideful unbelief, they call the man back in for another interrogation in verse 24. They abusively command him to glorify God, and then what do they do? They call Jesus a sinner outright. And the man responds again with beautiful simplicity. I don't know about that accusation that Jesus is a sinner, uh, but what I do know is I was blind, but now I see. And so they ask him to go back through what happened, likely um, seeking to maybe catch some errors 
in his testimony so they can dismiss him as a fraud. But he says, uh, why? I've already told you what happened. And then ironically, he asks, verse 27, do you want to be his disciples too? This reveals, by the way, that that this man already considered himself a disciple and the work of faith was, was in him already. Well, they responded, just as we have seen in John thus far, absolutely not, in verses 20, 28 and 29. We're with Moses, not with this law-breaking, Sabbath-breaking sinner. And the man responds in verses 30 through 33, I just don't get you guys. I don't get it. You don't know where this guy is from. You, you don't know really who he is. You question him, and yet I stand before you as a healed witness of his power and glory. I mean, really? Can a sinner open the eyes of the blind? He's clearly doing God's work in God's will. I just don't understand you guys. Well, this is a bridge too far for the Pharisees. They end the interrogation with a wholesale rejection of the healed man. Ironically, they state the truth that this man, along with all men and women, are born blind and in sin. There's truth there. But ultimately, they consider his teaching and his testimony to be untrustworthy. So what do they do? They cast him out of the synagogue. They cast him out of the temple. And to summarize this whole section, what we need to see in the responses here is mostly in the Pharisees' response, this verbal abuse that they impose on both the man and his parents and the man again, is that they are indeed blinded by the light, as the old song goes. And just like we were perplexed by that SpaceX launch, that light in the, in the sky years ago. They are perplexed. Even the parents are perplexed by the light of Jesus and unable to see clearly. But it's here where we see a turn in the narrative. The, once, the, the, the man who was healed here is cast out of the temple. But we see Jesus, the true temple, as we saw back in John 2, come to him. And we see the result of all of what happened in the life of this healed man, starting in verse 35. And that brings us to point three, the result. Look with me at verses 35 to 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Well, Jesus hears that this man is cast out and he comes to him. And we ought to notice a trend, a pattern that goes all the way back to John 1. And it's this, that that Jesus initiates. Jesus seeks. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind and gives sight. This is a simple and clear theological truth that we see over and over and over again in John. And it's the truth that we see revealed here. 
And when Jesus comes to this healed man, once again, he says in verse 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? That, that title from Daniel 7. And that title that's also been used for Jesus earlier in John. And the man asks, verse 36, who is he? Because I want to. And Jesus says, verse 37, you've seen him? It's the one speaking to you. It's me. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. What I want us to see is, is the progression of sight that happens here. The, the progression of this man's faith from the beginning of the chapter until here. For not only is this a sign that F.F. F. Bruce called a, a parable of illumination, it is also an illustration, a living illustration of faith and the way it works and the way it grows. Because did you notice, after this man has been given sight as a sovereign gift by Jesus, we, we saw back in verse 11, when the man is asked who gave him sight, what does he say? A man called Jesus. And then in verse 17, when the man is asked, what do you say about the man who opened your eyes? The healed man says, he's a prophet. Then in verse 33, he clearly calls him a man from God. And then in verse 38 here, he calls him what? Lord. Do you see the, the progressive re revealing of who Jesus is in, the, in this man's heart and mind? Jesus went from a mere name to a prophet to Lord. The result of this healing is not only spiritual sight, but, but progressive understanding of Jesus. A deeper understanding and faith that grows. That's what we see here. And to illustrate, I'm, I still illustrate this. I'm sure you've experienced this when, when you've been in a dark room. Uh, maybe it's in the middle of the night or you step out of a, a theater after a matinee or, or you're sick and you've been lying down in a dark room for most of the day. What seems like forever. And when the light hits us, first we see kind of dimly, right? We're like, ugh, it's, it's kind of startling. Things are blurry. It's even a bit painful. But then as our eyes adjust, we begin to see moment by moment what's around us. Well, this is how the Lord works in our faith. After he gives us eyes to see and turns the lights on, until glory, our eyes are slowly opened more and more to see who he is by the work of God's word and spirit. And Jesus must initiate and grow our faith because outside of his sight-giving work and outside of the growth that comes through him by the Spirit and Word, we are the Pharisees. This is the point of 39 through 40. We are blinded by spiritual pride, blinded by false belief that we see but are born blind and in judgment. What we see here is that Christ came, though, to give both sight but also to blind those who think that they see. And here's yet another application for us, beloved. We cannot illuminate the hearts and minds of those around us. That is above our pay grade. Jesus must do the work in the hearts and minds of unbelievers around us, in our children, in our spouses, 
in family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, the, the people around us in the, the city of Hillsboro and beyond. And our words, our personality, our eloquence may be used by God, but they are useless apart from the Spirit's work. And yet, this is not a license for laziness because we've got work to do. Maybe you noticed earlier that I skipped verse 4 back in point 1. But this is what Jesus is getting at there in that verse. We do have work to do. And our work includes faithful praying and proclaiming Christ as there, is day, as there is daylight. For a day is coming when Christ will return and all eyes will see him and every knee will bow, but, but time will be up for those who are in judgment. So let's pray and proclaim. Let's pray. Pray that, that God would give eyes to see Jesus and those who are blind around us. And then proclaim the truth of the gospel, that gospel that was shared back in point one. Let's pray and proclaim the work of Jesus and then leave the final results to God. And if you are a Christian, let's continue to, to proclaim the gospel to ourselves. Let's pray that our own, that our own faith would, would grow and mature in Christ. Let's pray that the Lord would help us see Him more clearly in deeper and deeper ways, in brighter and brighter ways. Let's pray and continue to put on, in the words of one theologian, the bifocals of faith, which is the Word of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to grow and mature our faith because redwoods aren't grown overnight. Let's continue to pray that the Lord would renew a right spirit within us so that we might see clearly and rightly as we await the return of Jesus. And until then, let's keep trusting, beloved. Let's keep trusting the Lord. Let's keep looking to Christ with eyes of faith in the midst of all circumstances, in, in sickness and in health. Let's keep trusting in accordance with 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that though for now we see in a mirror dimly, we see in part, one day we will be face to face with Jesus and all will be fully known. Let's keep trusting that the Lord will, just as he did in the life of this healed blind man, increase our sight, increase our faith as we open his word. And the Spirit works to conform our hearts and minds into the image of Jesus. Let's keep trusting in the reality that our faith that is so often so weak will one day give way to complete sight like those who have gone before us, who, are, who died in Christ. And we will see Jesus as it says in 1 John 3, verse 2. We will see Him as He is. And lastly, let's continue to follow the example of this healed man in verse 38. Let's continue to worship and exalt Jesus. You know, the only response to the truth of God and the sight that's sovereignly given by God is, is what? The worship of God. Not just personally, 
but collectively here at HFBC. So let's continue to gather, to worship Him, to sing of Him, to pray to Him, to read of Him from His Word, to grow in Him by the work of the Spirit, and to glory in Him. Well, in closing, earlier I asked, what if, what if there's a spiritual blindness that all men and women are born with that is far more permanent and devastating than even physical blindness? And if that's the case, what if there was a cure to open the eyes of spiritual blindness? Well, there is. There is. And we beheld Him today. His name is Jesus. The only one who's named here seven times in this chapter. Coincidence? No way. Deliberate? Yes. For he is the only one with complete and perfect vision. And is therefore the only one who can give sight to the spiritually blind. Let's pray. God of all sufficient grace, we ask that You would give sight where there is blindness. Lord, increase our faith where there is need. And continue to give us, Lord, what we have not. Lord, teach us what we know not. And make us what we are not. For Your glory and honor and praise. It's in the name of Jesus, the true sight giver, we pray. Amen.